Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connection, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. My guest today is Martin Cooper. And if you have never heard the name before, you will be shocked when I reveal to you that I'm quite sure that you use this invention on a daily basis. What is it, you ask? The cell phone, which he invented back in 1973 while working for Motorola. He's a pioneer of the wireless communications industry, especially in radio spectrum management, with 11 patents to his credit. He and his wife, Arlene Harris, have co-founded over half a dozen companies. He's the current chairman at Dyna LLC. He serves on the FCC's Technological Advisory Council, is a member of the National Academy of Engineers, the Marconi Society, and he's a prince of the Asturias Laureate. He has been widely published and created the law of spectrum capacity known as Cooper's Law. And I could keep going and going, but I'm just so excited to have you on the podcast, Mari. Well, it's my great pleasure, Letitia. I mean, it's just inspirational to read your accomplishments and my audience know that uh, because I work in the family business and my dad was in telecom before I was born in 1973, which is a coincidence with your invention. Um, I've been in telecom my entire life. So this is uh, really, really like one of those days that it's, uh, I would never forget it. And I, I would never also forget how candidly you accepted the interview. And, and just to have you here is, is, is a, a great 50th birthday gift. No, it's my pleasure, Letitia. But I, I ought to point out to you, it's nice of you to recognize some of the things that I've done, but I did do it all by myself. It took a lot of geniuses uh, that uh, uh, knew how to build things and, uh, and who could create the uh, real substance to, to my ideas that made all these things happen. Yeah, but uh, thank, you, thank you very much for whatever you said. No, please. Um, I mean, that's one of the qualities of great leaders and visionaries, humility. And that's what makes you stand outside, you know, of so many other great minds, but, you know, humility and, and that human quality in people. I mean, uh, just from, we met in person, uh, like, I think a month ago when you were ready to to uh, go to Spain on a big, big trip, but, you know, just how, you, you know, just approachable, people love to be around you. I mean, not only for what you did, but uh, just as a person and, and your wife, it's also incredible. So that's, I think, what the world should aspire to. Did you say that you were born in 1973? I was. I you was. Look, so. you look like a teenager. So. Uh, oh well, thank you. But uh, yeah, it's 50. So it's funny because I I did not know that that the invention happened on actually on my birthdays on my birth on my dear birthday. So I was like, oh, what a coincidence this is. So, Mari, I always like to touch a little bit on the origin story of my guests because, of course, when you read you know, all you've achieved. Um, and, and you know, it's like people say, how did he get there? And I love to delve a little bit in your, in childhoods. And like, I know you come from an immigrant family. So if you can share a bit about that 
and your parents coming to the U.S. And just about what were you passionate about as a young boy? And if you always had it clear that you wanted to go into engineering or if it was kind of uh, uh, you got there by a coincidence? Well, Letitia, I do the same thing now at the age of 94 that I did when I was five years old. I just love to see how things work. I love to take things apart and put them back together. And sometimes when I put them back together, they even work. <laughs> but uh, uh, that is, I just knew that uh, I was going to be some kind of an engineer. And when I was a youngster, I thought I was going to be a, an airplane engineer because airplanes were the big thing then. Mm. By the time I, I ended up going to a, a technical high school, and by the time I got to college, I, I had big ambitions. I wanted to be a physicist. And uh, I, that was uh, the first year in, in our university. Everybody takes the same courses. And one of them was chemistry. And even to this day, Letitia, I do not understand chemistry at all. <laughs> so, uh, and then I looked at the uh, curriculum. And the next year, I'd have to take two more courses. So I oh, suddenly decided I wanted to be an electrical engineer. And that's uh -huh. how my life changed. And I have to tell you uh, that uh, that's how my life has been going for the last, well, since I was born, but certainly for the last 50, 60 years. Uh, I don't plan anything. And the world is taking care of me. And I just am very, very lucky. And I'm lucky to meet you today. Mm, I love that. I don't plan anything. That's definitely to be added in your quotes, I, I check on, on some of your quotes, which I love. But, you know, for, for somebody with those achievements, you know, I think in the younger generations, and I see it, I have still young kids at home, a 13 and a nine-year-old, and I see other parents, and we seem to be putting all this pressure into planning their lives. Like, we almost kind of figure, every, like, parents talk about the kids' college, you know, when they are in third grade. And oh. I just don't feel that's the right approach because I feel we are kind of setting them up into these boxes and it's a little bit scary to me. You're exactly right. Boxes are bad. But on the other hand, I have to tell you that uh, I'm a dreamer and dreams are not bad. You, uh, you have aspirations. You think about all the things that you can be. And as long as your dreams are positive, that you think about uh, all the possibilities and you pick out something that you want to be good at, uh, and it doesn't matter what it is. It's just the idea that you can be good at something to give you confidence. Because yeah. every time you have the confidence to do something you have, uh, and you achieve that, you have the confidence to do something bigger. And that's been the story of my life, and I recommend it to everybody. Yes, <laughs> you're good living proof, that's for sure. So that, and I love that, that you kind of admitted, like, I did not like chemistry. I didn't, you know, I wasn't good at it. And sometimes just coming to terms quickly about what our superpowers are and what so our superpowers are not, maybe can get us to the right uh, destination uh, and faster. Yeah, you got it. Oh, awesome. So I know that there's a lot of podcasts out there about, you know, the whole process. You also wrote a book about it, which I definitely I haven't read yet. I, I learned about it uh, doing the research for this interview, but I definitely will recommend everybody to to buy, if I'm not mistaken, the, the title is Cutting the Cord, The Cell Phone Has Transformed Humanity. Yeah, my book is called uh, Cutting the Cord. Of course, it refers to the telephone cord because 
if you think about it, uh, when you hold up a cell phone, it's really just a telephone without a wire on it. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. I, uh, being a man, I never thought about it. Every woman that looks at the title of my books thinks uh, we're going to cut the umbilical cord, and they have no interest in my book at all. Uh, ah, interesting. Interesting. Well, definitely, uh, I think uh, the audience here should, because any anything that you go in detail into such an invention, I mean, it's just, to me, it's like it makes you be in awe, because that was a big vision you had back, and I, and I understand you have started, you know, a decade earlier, and you were very involved with the page, pagers and all the communication, the technology that really was the enabler at the end of the day for, for the cell phone. But how challenging was it, like, in that creative process? I take it that you surrounded yourself with the right team and, and you praise your team and you just did it at the beginning of this interview because it's very easy for such a big vision to be brought down by somebody like the naysayers or, or the non-believers. Did you face any of that? Uh, well, I imagine you did, but how was that process for you? Well, of course. Yeah, every time you want to do something, there for every person that encourages you, there are 10 people that tell you it can't be done. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, of course, the, uh, one of the important things that happened to me is when I joined Motorola, and the founder of Motorola, a fellow named Bob Galvin, who founded Motorola in the same year that I was born, which mm. is, his motto was, do not fear failure, reach out. That is, I have practiced that for my whole career. I had, had any number of failures, uh, but the uh, successes that you do have after you have some failures have made it all worthwhile. You can't do anything if you don't take a risk. And I'm not suggesting this, by the way, that's for everybody. Some people just can't stand the pressure of taking mm -hmm. risks. But that has been the substance of my life. I mm -hmm. uh, reached out, and as I said before, whatever successes you have uh, make the failures worthwhile. That's so, so amazing. And and I'm sure that, that back then, I mean, of course, you had, you know, that relationship, you, but people must have recognized early on, like Marty is special. He knows what he's talking because as I understand, Motorola, you know, invested a hundred millions back in, in the seventies. That's an incredible amount of money. And uh, of course, this was a new thing and nobody knew if it was going to work. So, what did you feel the, I mean, we know, I haven't shared, and I, don't, I mean, my audience, uh, it's very mixed. It's not so much in telecom, but everybody should know this, by the way. Uh, everybody should know your name and everybody should know you were also the man that plays the first uh, wireless call. And you you made a, an interesting choice. You call your main counterpart at the competing company. Tell me a little bit about that. Sure. Well, what is it that stimulated? Why did why did we feel we had to make a portable uh, telephone at that time? Uh, well, the biggest company in the world at that time was a company called AT and T. That really is the bell system, a different AT and T that exists today. They had a monopoly. You wanted a phone, you had to buy, buy it, and sometimes they wouldn't even sell it to you; they would only rent it to you. And so they ran the whole business, and uh, they went to our Federal Communications Commissions who control the radio spectrum, uh, all the radio stations that we have. Uh, and they said, you know, we have an idea for a, a wireless telephone. Uh, this, And uh, what we're going to do is come up with a car telephone. 
and, and we will be able to serve, oh, maybe uh, uh, 50,000 people in the country. This could be a new revolutionary thing. And we just thought that was ridiculous. We had been making car phones for years, and that was an old hat. And 50,000 people, that's nothing. We yeah. wanted to serve lots of people. And furthermore, we we thought that the telephone, as it was as it was created before, was a device to call another place. If you think about it, uh, you know, the telephone sits there in your house, and when somebody calls you, they're not calling you, they're calling a house. Mm. When they call you on a cell phone, it's your cell phone. It's an extension of you. So we took the Bell system on. They're the biggest company in the world. We're a little company in Chicago. Uh, and uh, uh, we fought them for, uh, oh, about 13 years and, mm. until the FCC finally made a decision. And their decision was, uh, first of all, uh, that it would not be a monopoly. It'd be competitive. That was the most important thing. And the second thing is uh, they made a decision uh, that the, uh, uh, they would split off uh, telephones from the two-way radios that the police and the other people use because the bell system wanted to take over everything. Mm. And, of course, we objected to that. Uh, and I, uh, I forgot what the third thing is, but uh, the bottom line is that uh, uh, they decided that the industry would decide what the tech, tech, technology was. And, of course, we went for handheld personal phones. And the result is, as you know today, there are more uh, cell phones in the world than there are people, believe it or not. That's true even in the United States. There are more cell phones in the U.S. than there are people, and more than two-thirds of the uh, people in this country, it's almost 80% now, uh, have cell phones. So the cell phone has really become uh, a really basic part of human life. Uh, mm. Having said that, and by the way, the cell phone, uh, as we use it in the United States, uh, really doesn't give you a picture of what the potential is. Because, uh, you know, we use it for entertainment. We use it to keep in touch with people. Uh, there are, in most of the rest of the world, especially in undeveloped countries, the cell phone is the way that people stay alive. And in mm -hmm. Africa, a billion people got out of severe poverty mostly because they had the cell phone there. The cell phone makes people more efficient. And when you're more efficient, there's more money for everybody. Uh, the second thing that the cell phone does, or and uh, started to do now, and will do much more in the future, the cell phone really is part of you. It is with you all the time. And the cell phone of the future is gonna be, you're, you're gonna have your own artificial intelligence that intelligence will know everything about you. And of course, it's very private and, and you own it. So it's not going to tell all your secrets to other people, yeah, but uh, it will know everything about your body. And if it knows that, if it senses that you're getting sick, it will go into the uh, network and connect you with the right uh, doctors or hospitals. And before you get a disease, the uh, the cell phone will uh, that connection will help you zap that disease and stop it. So a few generations from now, we're not going to have disease anymore because we're going to be connected, and that's the, one of the powers of being connected. 
And the most important thing I think is going to happen in the future, I hope you'll forgive me for jumping a, a you know, the, the present is boring. Uh, the, the most important thing uh, to me is the educational possibility. Uh, that our education system is ancient, it's not very effective. Uh, in this country is hampered by the fact that the uh, unions actually uh, don't like the advancements in education. But here we have now the teachers teaching people who have access to all the information in the world on their fingertips. So they're going to have to change the style of teaching. And uh, that's a really good thing because it, the uh, kids can learn faster themselves than they can be uh, taught by teachers. And the teachers can now focus on teaching them how to use these tools and maybe spend a little more time on ethics and getting along with other people. Because you know what the two biggest problems in the world today are. They're, uh, number one is poverty. There's no, no excuse Leticia, for anybody being poor, for anybody not having food on their table. And the second one, I, I'm sure that you know, is this idea of people uh, killing other people to get whatever it is they want to get is just wrong. There's, there's no way you can justify that uh, in any way at all. And I'm hoping that the fact that uh, with, if our productivity goes up high enough and if people are a little smarter than they were before, that we won't have any more poverty uh, and war will be a thing of the past. I love that point and, and that you make because I, I'm with you. Like, I love the past and I'm fascinated by our achievements, but I definitely almost feel a responsibility in my life to to contribute to the greater good. And because of that, I took like five years ago, um, accepted a, an appointment to the FCC Broadband uh, Deployment Advisory Committee and then to the Equity and Diversity Committee as well. And, you know, it's funny because a lot of like people don't see the power that these things have. Like when you can bring people to the table and exchange ideas, magic can happen. But if if we are not engaging, in not, we, we are not going to prompt change. And, you know, one of the biggest things is we have $1.2 trillion. You know, it's the historic, most largest funding ever in the country. And if we don't make sure that those dollars go to exactly what you just described, like ending poverty, to make sure we teach people to to use digital devices so that they can participate in in the mobile economy, because at this point you can almost not even park your car if you don't have a phone, which I have to say it upsets me because I think it's discriminatory. I say, techie, I want to use my phone, but what about somebody? that doesn't want to use the phone or or it's not as easy, they should still be able to pay. No, you're exactly right. We we still have some problems to overcome, even in our industry, Letitia. The carriers somehow have got caught up in, in the idea of technology for the sake of technology. You know, mm-hmm. you're reading about 5G and 6G, and you say, well, what is it? how's that going to affect me? It turns out that uh, for the next 10 or 20 years, not at all, and even then, indirectly, that's what industry will use. Uh, and uh, that is, of course, that's important. We want to improve productivity. But the most important thing for you and for me and for all of your people who are uh, listening to this, two things, cost and coverage. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to afford a cell phone 
if you're going to have it with you all the time. And it has to be there when you need it. And would you believe that there's 20% of this country, there's no service at all. Uh, they, uh, if you go to the, uh, the, I don't want to mention the company's names, if you go to the carrier stores, they tell you we have 99% coverage. Not so, they're not uh, being straight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So somehow we have to cover all of the country. You can't have some people that don't have access. But the most important thing is, you know, that cell phone service in this country is more expensive than any place else in the world. And oh, that's not right. You know, every person has to have a cell phone. And it's my view that even kids six years and older ought to have cell phones. Mm. I have to tell you that my great-grandchildren are not old enough yet to have cell phones. If my uh, grandchildren have had cell phones since they were kids, now, that's, it, it introduces some problems. The teachers who are teaching by the old methods feel that the cell phone is a distraction. They want mm-hmm. the kids to listen to them. Well, you know, the, one of the roles of the teacher is to overcome abstractions. And when I went to school, we had abstractions. We would send uh, pass notes on to the uh, girls at the other uh, side of the room, <laughs> and we'd be blowing spitballs at people. Mm-hmm. So the uh, uh, teachers figured out how to handle that. In, in my day, they they really knew how to handle it because uh, when I went to school, uh, when I was a youngster in Canada, uh, every teacher had a leather strap hung on her desk. Oh boy! And, and you could bet what that was for. Oh boy! Yeah, that doesn't I, sound fun. As I got older, I guess the kids are. The parents uh, got a little more protective, so the leather strap moved to the principal's office, but it was still there. And nowadays, nowadays, if a teacher raised their hand to a student, the parents would be... uh, Yes, yes. So uh, things are changing, and I think they're going to keep changing. uh, For the better, the teachers are going to learn how to teach, even with... Mm. Yeah, and I think it's interesting you made that point, because that was going to be a question. It's Coming from the the man that that you know invented the the portable device, it's I'm sure you get it all the time. Like, how do we get their kids not to be on it? And how do we? And it's almost. And I always say it cannot be all or nothing. We have to embed it into what we do, and you know, but don't let it control you to the point of uh, of you know not not being able to function. I think it was in DC that they are having right now a at a, one of the museums, uh, an exhibit about how many devices or things has the cell phone replaced. Uh, have you heard about this? No. Yes, I. it's something when I was there recently and they told me there's a full exhibit about all the things and if, I mean, the newspaper, the the CDs. I mean, once we start, once one starts thinking about how many things we don't use anymore, the calculator, the camera, I mean, how many things your invention eventually came up to, you know, doing one thing? It's uh, pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, every time you combine things, so uh, uh, you you lose something. And uh, I think that the modern cell phone is not optimal. You know, to have a device like this, that you know, it's a flat surface. You hold it up to your head in this uncomfortable position uh, when you talk. That's not an optimum phone, and it's not an, an optimum screen because it's so tiny. 
Uh, and all of these things can be solved with technology. Uh, so, and we will do that. I, you know, the cell phone of the future, I think, uh, you, you will have an earring that you'll put on. Uh, and if you want to talk to me, you say, get Marty on the phone and you, you'll have your own uh, supercomputer in that earring. And it will say, which Marty do you want? Do you want, uh, uh Marty Hellman, uh, or, uh, in, uh, San Francisco or Marty Cooper, or, uh, San Diego? You'll say, get me, uh, Cooper in San Diego, and next thing you know, you're talking to me. To me, huh? that's a, almost an optimal phone. If you take that phone from your ear and embed it under your skin so that you don't ever have to charge it. Yeah, you, that would be you know, fantastic. Charging is suboptimal, isn't it? After it is a little bit. <laughs> I just transitioned to an electric car, so it's, uh, it's it, I love it because I don't use gasoline. But yeah, it's like now you also have to like think about oh, where am I going today? <laughs> Let me check. <laughs> so, but I think it's I think the world is moving in the right direction, and I love the fact that we still have leaders like you to to you know contribute and uh, you know to to see us through. Because sometimes I think people are a little bit. Yeah, depressed, pessimistic, like when we think anything is possible, I, I think that uh, it takes a special character and, and person to like convince others to to what can be achieved. Yeah, well, I, I'm glad everybody in the world is not like me, uh, Letitia. <laughs> yes. Maybe too many failures, but it just, I'm an optimist. And I think that the world is better now than it's ever been before. It's far from being perfect. Yeah, but if it was perfect, I wouldn't have anything to do, and you wouldn't have anything to do, right? We both absolutely. For both of us, try to make the world better, and so that imperfection is in itself is not a bad thing. So, absolutely, and and the, the wealth of knowledge. I I tell my dad he's from thirty four, and he he was uh, he was born in Sicily. My parents are Sicilian, so he remembers, you know, when the guy would come with the oil lamps to turn on all the lamps of the town. And well, he remembers the first car, and here because his town was very rural in Italy. So, and and so I made him drive my electric car the other day. I said, Tesla would love this commercial, you know, this guy that used to be on the car with the with the horses. But likewise, I mean, the advancements that you have witnessed and contributed to it's pretty amazing in in this generation. Yeah, it takes all kinds of people to make the world and. Uh... And I uh, encourage people to do whatever their views leads them. Uh, some people want to be uh, creators, inventors, other things want to make existing things uh, better. And uh, the world needs uh, diversity, every kind mm. of. And uh, when you talk about diversity, it's not only in, uh, ambition, it's got to do with color, religion, all those things. Uh, none of those things have anything to do with uh, what your future is. You should decide what your future is. Mm -hmm. I love that. I always say diversity of thought is one of the most powerful diversities there are, and people can completely minimize it. That's brilliant. I'm going to put that in my vocabulary. Diversity. It's uh, lovely. Right? Oh, well, it's an honor. It's an honor. So, Mari, I know your time is precious. The last question I ask every guest is usually this is a podcast that uh, it's about how we stay connected to what makes us tick. And we all know that in the journey of life, we have ups and downs and sometimes we don't see through. And you already say you're a pest, uh, an optimist, sorry. Um, is there anything in, you know, when, when you need to like connect to 
to your essence, to your energy source that you like to do a hobby or a practice or anything that comes to mind? Well, you, you know, uh, I have had every hobby that exists in the past. Mm-hmm. Every time I get good at something, uh, something happens that I can't do it anymore. I used to be a <laughs> fair tennis player, uh, mm-hmm. even though I'm a, a very awkward. Uh, you know, I ended up breaking uh, my wrist and uh, mm-hmm. my head on. But uh, at some point, I got so I couldn't uh, play tennis anymore. I used to be an avid runner. And as a result of that, uh, I now have uh, artificial joints <laughs> in <laughs> my knees. And, and, uh, but it, there's a good side to everything. You know, I, uh, as a result of being, even though I was terrible at these sports, I built up a very strong heart. And that's kept me going for 90, uh, 94 years. Uh, and so the, my biggest hobby now is really uh, thinking about things, about different ways of different ways of of understanding things. I try very hard to encourage youngsters. I spent a lot of time. I was just in Spain, as a matter of fact. Uh, let's see, what's today Thursday? Last week I was uh, in Spain. Would you believe, Leticia, that I was uh, having a uh, cocktail hour and dinner with the King of Spain? Oh, my God, that's what an opportunity. Yeah, he, came, he came over to talk to me and said, you don't have you met my family? I said, oh, <laughs> I think I know he runs over, brings over the, uh, the queen and the uh, and two princesses and, wow. and, and the, the queen mother, all of whom I met uh, 14 years ago, all in different roles. But wow. anyway, I, I'm not going to brag anymore about that. No, that's amazing. No, because, you know, they probably bragging too. Well, that's the beauty of thing. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. So the idea of uh, sharing ideas with other people and thinking about how things can be and being able to do that without having a job to go to, which is, uh, you know, I've never stopped working, but I stopped working for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, do what I want to do, uh, uh, maybe uh, 30 years ago, maybe longer. It's amazing what you can learn just by opening your mind and uh, talking to lots of people. And we have so many things available to us now uh, to uh, teach us. So to close my comment, the most important thing in life, whatever you're doing, is to keep the channels open. Keep learning. You'll never know everything. But the more you learn, the more you have to look forward to, the more you uh, tools you have to make your life better and to improve the world. Mm, thank you, Mari. I mean, that is just so much wisdom in these, you know, words that uh, that you have shared with us that I really appreciate. And I mean, if, if the audience doesn't get inspired with that, I, I quit podcasting <laughs> yeah. altogether. But I want to thank you so much for taking the time to me and experiences of a lifetime to, you know, be with you in this interview and be in the same industry that, that you are. It's a, it's truly an honor. And I look forward uh, to keep learning from you. Oh, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Letitia, you inspire me. So, oh, wow. <laughs> your enthusiasm and your uh, interest in the fact that you are doing so much. I didn't know that you were a fellow advisor uh, to the FCC, but I think that's wonderful. And anytime you want to talk, I'm available. 
Absolutely. We have important things to do, and I would definitely take you up on that. So to all of you out there, thank you for joining to this very special episode of Back to Basics, and until the next time. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Back to Basics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming platforms. This is the best gift you can give us. Join me next week for another Back to Basics conversation. And if you want to find out about other exciting things I'm working on, visit LeticiaLatino.com. Thank you, and until the next time.